Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 22, Skin of Evil. Uh, Leland T. Lynch here, Captain, reporting for... Sorry, I, I just wanted to start the episode that way because uh, the the rando chief engineer that we had in this episode... Gonna guess that it might be the chief engineer, but I wasn't confident. He had an incredibly like bad habit of introducing himself as Leland T. Lynch here, Captain. Um, I don't know where they found that guy, but uh, man, that jumped out at me. But what's what's Jordy's middle name? Uh, that's a good question. Perhaps our guest knows, uh, who is a font of Star Trek knowledge uh, himself. Uh, Ed is joining us in a different Ed. Um, Ed, how would you prefer us to, to distinguish you from the other Ed who's been on the podcast so far? Uh, we could call Ed. him Thomas, too. <laughs> <laughs> we could call you H-Dog. That, that works for me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we could call you H-Dog. So uh, quick information for those who don't know, uh, Ed and I go way, way back, uh, and we hosted a radio show together at a small college uh, radio station uh, where he went by H-Dog. Uh, so that's a callback, if you will. Yeah. Getting back to my roots. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this is, there's really no way to kind of dance around this one. Um this Spoiler is, alert. Yeah, yeah. In, in case you, A, didn't watch the episode that you were supposed to uh, for this week, which, again, Skin of Evil, so stop right here if you haven't yeah. watched it. Yeah, I mean, if you've stumbled into this episode and this is, like, you're just in a car with somebody and, and this is going to spoil a series, I think you're already doing it wrong, mm -hmm. so... That's a fair point. You're you're something on the order of like three decades too late. But um, <laughs> this is the infamous episode where they kill off uh, Tasha Yar. And I, when I was watching this one uh, just this morning in, in preparation for uh, this show that we're recording, I clocked it. Tasha gets shot yeah. eleven and a half yep. minutes into I the episode. I clocked it too. <laughs> um, I clocked it the second time through because I was really surprised actually um and for an episode where i was pretty sure i knew what was going to happen i was like wait is she dead this is really happening this early yeah. um because i think i always associated like Riker gets trapped in the liquid later and all that i think i associate that with her oh oh oh, oh. so yeah. You thought that, like, uh, Armus, which is the name of the entity that they encounter on this planet, uh, you thought that Armus sucked her into the into the pit of black yep. goo and then That's killed her. That's how I remember way. it from yeah. long ago. Can we just call him Tar Dude? Tar. <laughs> I like it. Uh, the motion has a second. Uh, if our if our guest will uh, absolutely third. tar dude works for me. <laughs> tar dude uh, definitely uh, did not kill her with the the pit of tar. He. Uh, he just kind of smoked her with a random energy beam, which... Uh, well, yeah, and, like, got some tar on her cheek, <laughs> which was well, the worst makeup ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unlike the two of you, I didn't actually time it, but I did make a mental note. I was like, damn, that was quick. Yeah, it was It was incredibly fast, and it was um, It was amazing how it happened, and, and I even went this far. It was 11 and a half minutes into the episode. Literally 60 seconds later, Crusher utters the words, she's dead. Yeah. 
yeah, it happens very quick. <laughs> I mean, they then they bring her back to the ship after she pronounces her dead, which I think was that whole like, oh, it's the future, and we can kind of maybe sometimes bring dead people back. Um, and then uh, Riker has my favorite line in this episode um, when uh, <laughs> when they bring her onto the sick bay bed. They hook her up to the stuff, and then all the thing goes, and then Riker, like a child, wandering, is like, yeah, you did it. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, Riker, no. And then she turns, she's like, no, she's on full support. I'm like, Riker, just get out of here, man. You're just, it's, it's, let the adults well, handle it. If Tasha were to have any next of kin, they might have grounds for medical malpractice. <laughs> because if she was proclaimed dead or pronounced dead on the surface, why did they teleport her to the teleport room and not directly to sick bay? <laughs> they yes. use teleporters oddly in this first season. <laughs> if there, it really seems like they're still in the mindset that they're constrained that one end of the teleport has to be to the room. Yeah, um, which which they get away with like this season, and I think like somebody just eventually is like, no, 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 man, you can just transport them anywhere, and then that becomes that becomes a thing. That they you could just, just teleport them to the room and then to sick bay, and it would add like four seconds to it. But sure, right, right, yeah. But I mean, what's what's funny about this is uh, if any of you have uh, have ever seen the comic Chief O'Brien at work, <laughs> yep. um, <laughs> This is essentially the basic premise of why nobody ever comes to see Chief O'Brien because <laughs> transporters work in such a way where, yeah, somebody's got to push the buttons and beebly beebly boop. But, uh, I mean, they eventually establish, too, that not only can you transport someone's literally what they call site to site, a site to site transport, um, but you can also have the computer do it. <laughs> like, yep. yeah. if it's a run of the mill transport, the computer's like, gotcha, bro. And then just like teleports you wherever. So, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, you know, in downtime, the computer ever just like, you know, you reform a, reformat a hard drive. You know, cargo bays are basically the same idea. Would the computer ever just be like, well, if this was here and this was here, <laughs> hey, the cargo bay is packed more efficiently now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there are uh, empty sectors, literally, of the cargo <laughs> yeah, bay, and they're just uh, moving that stuff around. Wh this whole episode is just like a whisk, and we're off, you know? Like, it's... This episode, I, I, I felt like as I was watching it the second time in particular, this episode literally could not wait to kill Tashiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and as I was telling Jason before we started recording, it had been years probably since I watched this episode, but the first, I've watched it three times in preparation for the show, and the first time I watched it, that is the thought I had to myself. I was like, man, did they just write this to kill Yar? Mm -hmm. It felt like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, um, <clears throat> and, and I think maybe it's, since a large portion of the conversation is obviously going to center around this, because up to this point, um, this was really new ground for Star Trek, because um, they had never killed a main character uh, on the TV show before. Um this is after, this would be after Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, so they've already killed Spock. But then, of course, in continuity, they just bring him right back in yeah. literally the next uh, movie. So that kind of, I mean, it counts because it had the emotional impact when it happened. I mean, obviously. But then, you know, he comes right back. Tasha Yar ain't coming back. And this, you know, the, the whole story behind this is essentially Denise Crosby decided to leave the show. Um, 
And I think what's fascinating is, um, you know, if, if you're just new to our podcast, uh, first off, welcome. But second off, uh, there's there's quite a bit of season one that we've covered. And one of the things in a lot of the episodes that we've talked about has been the use of Denise Crosby as Natasha Yar. And, and really, her character, probably more than anybody else's, has been really kind of badly handled yeah. in, in a bunch yeah. of places. Very poorly handled. And, and I think the the cumulative effect of that is, you know, this episode where essentially you've got an actress who says, like, look, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. I'm kind of done. Um, and essentially from what I could dig up, the backstory behind it is, you know, she decided to depart. Um, in the past, you know, there's lots of ways to write a character out of the show. But, but Gene Roddenberry, perhaps Leonard Mazelish, who is a name that you would know if you've seen Chaos on the Bridge. I believe it's still on Netflix. He was Gene Roddenberry's lawyer who fancied himself <laughs> a writer. Um, and several other people in the room decided, no, we've got to kill her off. We've got to make a statement. We've got to go for the shock factor. She's got to die. Um, and that's kind of you know where this episode came from. So I suppose if it feels like this episode can't wait to kill Tasha Yar, in a way, it kind of can't wait to kill Tasha Yar. Like, they were just like, nope, this is what we're going to do. Let's do it. Yeah. And it's, I wonder if they came up with that idea first, and then they said, well, we have this, well, how do we do it? Let's create a monster. Or did they say, well, let's kill her. Oh, we have this episode where we run into this monster. Because it seems like it's pretty constructed to be um, quite literally very black and white about good and evil mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, as heavy handed as that comes off um, I mean they could have made the tar like like purple <laughs> <laughs> green instead of making him quite literally dark as night yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah I wonder how that process played out because it does really feel constructed yeah and, and um, I found myself a little conflicted about this episode um, in terms of how much I enjoyed Armus as a, a quote unquote Tardude sorry as a monster of the week because uh, I mean we'll just get the bad out of the way right away the the effects budget for this episode apparently went straight out the window um, <laughs> because That's terrible oh I mean specifically the point where they first get on the planet like the first introduction we see of him other than him just being a lifeless, you know, pit of tar, is that horrible smudging effect that they have where where he goes, like, back and forth, you know, blocking yeah, their yeah, path. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. That, I mean, there was no way that looked convincing in the 60s when the original series was on, let alone in the 80s um, when this, this series airs. You know, it kind of almost reminded me of um, Star Wars, uh, the original uh, Star Wars, when they couldn't make Luke's land speeder hover, so they just put a bunch of crap on the lens, so to like fudge out the wheels, like it just looked like somebody was just taking something like nah, I don't know, just put some crap over there, it's fine. And, and I'm pretty sure that when I was watching, you can see like the floor underneath the smudging. It's oh sure. Or yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, because it's not quite solid, so it's kind of like yeah. that semi-transparent. Well, and then eventually it's just a pit. And yep. Tardude rises and falls into the pit <laughs> and Riker falls and rises from the pit um, and all of that raises a lot of questions but um, yeah that, I think that's more or less the bulk of the middle of the episode 
Yeah, yeah, because he <laughs> right. um, he decides that. I mean, essentially, the the whole thing that we find out about Aramis is that he he. I thought they did do a nice job of this, of kind of like painting in his backstory bit by bit, as yeah. as simplistic as it was. Well, and we should say that this is all Troy's fault. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. It is. <laughs> Although she is used well here, uh, the episode starts out that she's coming back from a conference or something, and the shuttle goes down on a planet. So then they're they're going to rescue the shuttle. They can't beam them out. They have a lot of ship problems. Did um, I, I had this as a note? Did either of you happen to know which shuttle she was riding on? Oh, uh, the no. Challenger Shuttle Thirteen. Oh, uh oh, <laughs> yeah. It's it was either the number of the shuttle or um or Deanna Troy's you know just presence that that brought <laughs> the ship down. I mean, honestly, if I was piloting a shuttle with Deanna Troy, I'd probably point it at the nearest big rock and just hit the engines too. Well, but, uh, she was well, probably no. talking to the pilot as he was flying <laughs> because apparently he can't talk and fly at the same time. Picard's asking for status updates. And she has probably my favorite line in the episode. She's like, sorry, Captain, the pilot is, pause, busy. (laughs) And that pilot, I feel like, had the worst gig in the entire episode. Um, To to be fair, I think they used Troy well here in in character. Uh, Later in the episode, um, where she's talking to Tardude, um, and she talks to him like a counselor should. Yeah, I put Counselor Troy is literally weakening the creature with the power of therapy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is essentially, I mean, she's the key to solving the entire riddle uh, of this episode, right? Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. Armus is, his powers are pretty fantastical. Um, he can, yeah, they are. I, I mean, yeah. he literally demonstrates it by killing Tasha Yar. Just And I think he references it as, you know, just a, a, a flick of my power or, or something to that effect. Um, so he can stop them from beaming in and out. Uh, he can kill people with directed energy bolts almost immediately. He can essentially be a moving transporter because he can. He took all their stuff out of their pockets and then beamed Jordy's uh, visor around all over the place. And then so eventually... Beam Picard in and out of the ship. Exactly. The shuttle. Yeah, yeah. So he, he has a broad sphere of influence and he has you know, pr- pretty blanket powerful um, abilities. I-, I wrote this, Armis's powers are pretty Tardude. fuzzy. Sorry, Tardudes. Powers are pretty fuzzy. <laughs> you just revise your notes right now. I mean, we could take find, a Find, <laughs> hold on, find and replace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this thread that you've started, Jason. I'm going to run with it here. Yeah. Um, I agree. His powers uh, are pretty expansive and probably the second of the three times I watched this, I actually started writing down a list of oh, entities nice. in Next Generation that I think he's... And, and I'm like, okay, I think he's probably in the top four most powerful entities they encounter in the show. Q being number one. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Dowd from season three on The Survivors being oh, number two. Yeah, yeah. Tardude yep. and maybe Nagilam from season two. Yeah, yeah. I but, don't know yeah. which one of those two is more powerful, but yeah, this guy is like way up there on the power rating. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and he says, I mean, part of it is he's immortal, um, and all he's lacking is transport. I mean, that, that's one of the large things he's looking for at the end of this episode. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's crazy powerful. So basically the, um, you know, this is probably one of the few episodes that I can remember where Counselor Troy and her, I mean, not even her supernatural abilities, just like her background as a therapist is actually central to the plot here. And without her, yeah. um, basically, you know, Tardude kills 
more people or keeps her captive forever or who knows but they they don't get out of there without uh without that information and this is yeah this is maybe one of the better season one um places where she's used right i'm i'm struggling to think back to the last time she was used really effectively Mm -hmm. well and she's Um, a lot like yar that way in season one you know she really doesn't have a lot of of episodes where she's central or where she has much to say that's of any real significance. So yeah, this is almost a, a coming out party of sorts for what she's really about. Well, yeah. and, and the last episode we talked about um, Symbiosis, which actually was produced after this, um, we were um, talking about the fact that, that Yar has such good moments in that episode and how unfortunate it is mm-hmm. um, that it was so late in in that decision to get rid of her. Because uh, she was already, I mean, in in terms of uh, scripting and airing um, and production, uh, killed. Yep. It's like, well, you finally figured out what to do with this character, and then, well, too late. Yeah, and and yep. let's talk about let's talk about Denise Crosby and uh, and Tasha Yar here for just a little bit, because even though, even though we, I mean, we famously we, we pointed that out, it's eleven and a half minutes in, you don't get a whole lot. Um, she does get the scene at the end of the show as well. Um, yeah. when she kind of delivers her own eulogy. Um, and I thought I, I thought to myself throughout this entire episode that this is probably the best that we've... It's right up there with the best that we've seen from Tasha Yar. Um, her interplay with uh, Lieutenant Worf at the very beginning of the episode to start it out is actually super nice, right? That musical cue, though, it's like, one of these people is not gonna live. <laughs> <laughs> It just kind of creeps under there, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, oh, they're having a nice moment. Why is the music so ominous? Yep. <laughs> what, what is happening? Um, it's and, like, yeah, oh, you, you bet on me, Worf? But you wouldn't bet on me against the tar dude, would you? <laughs> oh, the tar dude swept the, the ship's pool in a surprise upset. <laughs> Worf lost uh, all of his replicator rations. Uh, that <laughs> oh, man. Um, but then the... Um, I, I really want to want to talk about that uh, that eulogy for a second. Sure, sure. Um, because not only is it a really nice moment um, for her, but I also feel like her descriptions of each one of the characters and each one of of her fellow crew members is actually the strongest sense of character that they have put forward to date in terms of trying to define each person on the ship and their role. Yeah. Um, she says yep. some really nice and really spot on things about the characters that I feel are not only appropriate at this point, but they actually kind of are the cornerstone of like where their growth will take them. Um, particularly the stuff that, that she, that she said about, uh, Captain Picard. Um, she says something to the effect of, um, you're the kind of person who I would always want to, to be proud of me. And you're the father that I never had. Yep. And it's that, it's that role that Picard takes where ironically he's never had children and never will have children, but he is the father figure for them all. You know, he is the one who maintains order, maintains discipline, but also lets just enough of himself through to let you know, Oh my God, he does care about these people. And his, um, I think that followed with, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart's very understated, you know, au revoir, Tasha, with like a little bit of tear like showing in his face, um, I thought was just such a nice moment. It kind of gets me a little bit. Yeah. And it's actually a uh, a role that he will very much take on in in a number of episodes 
moving forward where he really becomes either that mentor figure mm-hmm. or specifically to Wesley in a lot of episodes, uh, you know, the, the surrogate father figure. Um, yeah, he definitely takes that on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it's a powerful scene too and even just the... Um... I mean, I guess it's not a metaphor, but the the concept that like um, she kind of gets his chance because she recorded this to tell the people there how she feels after she died, but that most people don't get that chance, and they, you should just take it when you have it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it also, um, yeah, it, it's also kind of their way out, I guess, as a writer's standpoint, that the characters just don't say these things about each other during the season which would make sense if they said these things slowly that that you kind of say them all uh, in a burst when you get when you have a dead character um i did have a question i did have a point that um how many of these did she record if she accurately predicted her own death <laughs> <laughs> did she have like six or seven and then picard had to sort through them and like, oh yep this is the one this is... i don't like what she said about me in this one <laughs> well it's like what if she had died in a teleporter accident or something a transport accident or like a weird shuttle explosion and it's like i know i died doing my job and i know it was quick and i know well like, she did say probably she said yeah uh, she's she, it was a caveat where where you know she said i if i don't know she did actually say i don't know how it happened but it probably happened you know on my feet uh in the in the line of duty or something but like that. just wouldn't it have been pretty lame if it hadn't and i know it's all written but that i that as soon as she said that like hmm that would have been a really lame message if she didn't get that right well and and let's talk about that because that's also um the let's see uh the this episode is actually a little bit controversial um because a lot of people felt that the exit of tasha yar was handled um poorly uh by this production what do you guys think about the way that Tasha was killed in this episode? I mean, we know it was was sudden. It happened quickly because we made, we've made reference to how how short it is into the episode. But but what do you guys think about it? I think that I think the episode uh, dramatically suffers for how quickly uh, they kill her off um, because normally you have a buildup to the dramatic you know apex of a story. But they they do it right away, and then you're spent the rest of this episode, you know, exploring, you know, who who is Tardude or what is he, and yeah, Troy gets to shine. But I mean, they even they reference in, in future episodes that Tasha dies very senselessly. Yeah, and yeah. it it just it kind of threw the whole episode off in my mind because there's a lot of things about the concept. I mean, even you know, what is Tardude? You know, they they explore that. But everything kind of feels overshadowed. Going back to that point, they just—it feels like they wrote this to kill Tasha, and yeah. the fact that they do it right away and literally throw her away like a rag doll—it's mm-hmm. just like, man, where you know, where's the respect? Yeah, she doesn't. So, she doesn't even get like any last words, which I thought was kind of—I mean, she does by the end of the episode, kind of. But she's literally just like, "I'm gonna go help Troy." Boom! What's that? I'm on my back, dude. You know. So, so I'll take the opposite side of this. I think. Okay. Um, because it could it could have been the opposite side, and he could have mortally wounded her. Um, and then the episode could have been about that, and now Crusher's on the ship trying to save her, and there's status updates, and there's all this, um, and it kind of gives false hope to the audience that she's going to make it through, right? Because they don't 
I don't know. It just feels very Star Trek to make it. Um, if they're trying something, you know, they're eventually going to pull through. Um, if they try to get somebody back to life for more than say five minutes, right, right. Um, so it might. It would probably have felt kind of like the audience was cheated in that for building up hope over a whole episode. Um, but it also does allow the other characters time to step out of this. Um, Worf gets to distance himself from how Yar would have handled the situation, right? And Worf has a really interesting, um, if not good or bad line of, of, of why, like, is he going to go down to the planet? He says, no, I think uh, as security officer, we're not trying to fight this thing. Um, I'm better off on the ship. It, that is an amazing line. That was right? actually and, one of my high points of the episode. Yeah, and, and it's and it, it raises a question of like, well, why did I mean Picard goes down later and he brings a phaser again? It's like, well, why did he do that? They're not trying to fight this thing. They know they can't win. It's not a security issue. It's a counselor issue. Uh, oddly mm-hmm. enough, mm-hmm. Um, but you get to see Worf do things a little differently, and you get to see Troy do things a little differently, and you get to see. Data and Jordy act in a, a way that is very different from the situations they've been in as friends, um, and you get to see all these other ways that people react um, in the shadow of Yar, right? And and to say that she doesn't get any last words, <laughs> she does get a last like the last ten minutes of the episode. Yeah, yes, in in a does. monologue, right? Yeah. So, um, I, I I think it's done fairly well everybody cared about Yar and they don't forget about her right, right. they it, yep. it her death wasn't senseless and empty and and she basically says that in in her own words that she died doing what she wanted to be doing um and she came from a weird planet um mm-hmm. that that was horrible and starfleet starfleet gave her this chance at doing something she loved um and and to, to use the Klingon metaphor, uh, which we saw a few episodes ago, she probably would have been sadder if she lived to old age and then just died, like, sitting on a porch or something mm-hmm. instead of on her feet. Yeah. By uh, Klingon standards, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, she lives... And, and <clears throat> she even makes a point to say w- during her, her kind of soliloquy there at the end, um, when she's talking about Worf, you know, you and I are so alike. We're both warriors. And, and for a warrior, I mean, that's, it's, it may have been quick, but it was a warrior's death. You know, yeah. she died on her feet. She's in Stovacor now. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that's um, that's got to be some fan fiction that's out there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I think it had more dramatic effect because we've seen so many people killed that way in Star Trek, right? Yeah, it's in just series. yeah, it's just that they were all red shirts, or now in Next Generation they'd be yellow shirts. Tasha happened to be wearing the, that correct color shirt, and it was just somebody we knew with a name. And I feel like in in 1987 or 88 when this aired, um, you know, Game of Thrones was so far off at that point that like seeing somebody who's who reports for duty every week just get offed like that, I, I feel like was a was a pretty powerful thing. And maybe the audience didn't like it, but I think also audiences at the time weren't used to anything like that. So well, and spoiler alert: we're going to have another main character not killed but leave the show in a few episodes, and and. Maybe we'll get to that in a few episodes, but um, the main cast isn't really safe from the writers at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, yeah. that's a very good point. Yeah. the well, The other thing I want to <clears throat> I want to point out real quick before we move on is um, I've always found this interesting that in most other shows, 
a character departs and a character fills their shoes, right? That, that, that a new person comes in. Maybe not directly to fill their role, but the same number ensemble is kept. Um, Tasha leaves and there is no extra character added um, mm-hmm. yep, to the show. And I wonder how much of that is also an acknowledgement that, that it, was, it, it was a pretty big cast. And I think it might have been a little too big. Um, because I think it's only after that Tasha leaves and Worf steps into her role that Worf has anything good consistently to do on the show and yeah, I always yeah. found that really interesting that, that when Tasha is killed there is no new person brought aboard um, well, and as we know now you know they couldn't have gotten rid of Michael Dorn even if they wanted to uh, he just wouldn't have gone <laughs> he he had decided that right then and there that I'm going to be doing Star Trek until I'm done. Uh, slowly working his way up. <laughs> Who cares to the... if they're done or not until I'm done? <laughs> <laughs> that Captain Worf series might get off the ground yet. We, uh... I'll, I'll just say one last thing here. I don't disagree with Paul either that you know I I wouldn't have wanted Yar to have been taken back to the Enterprise. You know, and oh, are they going to rescue her? Are they going to save her or not? I just think that you know maybe they could have had the death happen later on in the episode. I mean, she dies so early in the episode, they don't even really know what the stakes are with Tardude yet. They mm-hmm. really don't know how powerful he is. Mm-hmm. And so she just is kind of charging in, you know, haphazardly and, oh, you just happened to choose wrong. I feel like, at least for me, you know, I can't speak for other fans, but I, I feel like if it had been a little bit further along in the episode, they kind of knew exactly what the stakes were and then she decides to charge in you know i need to save my crewmates i feel like for me it would have had just a little more dramatic weight yeah yeah i can see that i can see that i i I can see both sides i think you guys did a nice job of uh of kind of exploring that yeah um i've got i mean the rest of what i've got that's that's pretty much the episode right because i mean really the the resolution is Troy finds the key, and and she has that conversation with Picard about uh, Tardude, and and you know, basically the two pieces of information that they have is is Picard knows when Tardude's energy dips to its lowest point. Both of those times were when he was talking to Troy when he was surrounding the shuttle, and Troy's like, "I was therapying him." Boom, <laughs> feelings. That's how you do it. Well, um, and this is this is a. A weird and probably sort of half-written, um, but interesting idea of a, 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 and maybe we'll see if I interpreted it the same as you guys, but a, a race of people who came up with some way to like shed their evil thoughts, and then they built a machine or something to do that, and then they thought all their evil thoughts in this machine, and then it spit out some tar. And then they said, "Cool, let's leave that tar on this planet and then leave." Yeah. And then That's the tar got lost. How I took it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, essentially, yeah. And also, the, the tar is immortal. <laughs> and also, it's and also, immortal. it has strange powers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's obviously kind of the thinnest origin story for a fantastical creature. I mean, that we've ever seen. But I also kind of liked that it was understated, right? You know, oddly, I did too. Um, I had less trouble with it than maybe uh, it, it would seem like I should. <laughs> right, yeah, because it was just sort of there. Yeah. Um, and they didn't try to get into the minutia of like, well, how would that tar congeal into a being? When did it become sentient? When did, He's just like, this is what happened. They're now beautiful. I hate them so much. They left me here, you know? And, it's, and I was like, okay, 
you know, it the can question happen. is, right? Did they ever run into that race? Yeah, yeah. That and does. did they bear any responsibility for Yar's death? I'm gonna throw it out there right now. Uh, it, the answer is the Iconians, uh, fan fiction writers, go oh. to town. There you go. Right? Really? No. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that would. It, there's some interesting <laughs> questions there that, and and this, these are the parts that it's like, wow, I would like to think about this for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an interesting ethical question of, you know, do they bear any? Um, are they responsible at all for Yar's death, right? They built this evil creature, um, which I, is, is built to be unredeemable, right? Right. Yeah. He, um, is. And, he is. And gave him, like, crazy powers and then just left him on a planet. Well, I, I got the impression that the crazy powers were more of a byproduct than a design. And, yeah. and in fact, the entire creature itself was kind of an accident, right? That, yeah, um, potentially. That that what I sort of took away from that was, <clears throat> you know, everything that's bad and evil within them, they were able to pull out, and you know, they just like, oh, there's this goo here, so bloop, toxic sludge. Well, <laughs> it would be like if all of the uh, stores of nuclear waste from all the radioactive, you know, waste dump sites in the world congealed together and formed a horrible radiation monster you wouldn't say that like the people who made nuclear power plants like well you created this horrible monster it's like well we created a reactor that made some stuff more or less the plot of godzilla and i think the point is that those people are responsible (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah interesting thing about this episode for me was a i I agree I, i was really curious about these creatures that just kind of sloughed dude off and left him um, because he's he's literally a skin of evil so yeah the title of the episode is very appropriate um, but like Paul said he I mean he is irredeemable we kind of are given that up front by his behavior he's very sadistic um, and so part of the episode that I guess just wasn't resonating with me unfortunately was kind of the Troy therapy sessions because mm. I found myself asking why am I supposed to feel sorry for this thing? It's pure evil. Hmm. Well, and I don't know that I don't know that she wasn't pulling a con the whole time. That could be. Um, right? I don't know yeah. that she was trying to redeem him. I think she was just talking, right? And sure. then trying to save her friends. And then Picard figured out, like, Picard came down with the information that, hey, when you're talking to him, he doesn't hold the force field as well. Right, and if we can, yep, yep. and and she, you know, pieced together that, yeah, he he's losing control a bit when he's focusing on these ideas, right? When he's um, losing focus, yeah. Um, I, and yeah. Picard ran with it. I felt it was. I actually thought it was pretty believable because if you if you were to make Tar Dude not Tar Dude, right? Like, say he's just some uh, maniacal terrorist holding hostages, right? Um, I think he's Troy another would... Q, right? He could have been another Q. Sure, sure. But I mean, even if he's just a mortal person with a gun, but the upper hand. Yeah, all right there. there um, That's fair too. I feel like that is a thing that, that Troy would still be doing. Not to try to redeem the person who is, is holding these people, but to try to gain the upper hand. Because sure. yep. Yep. I think I think very quickly she realized that like once he started vomiting like this whole like, everything sucks and I'm so sad. Like, I mean, you can kind of... Yeah, it's totally emo, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe she was just trying to lead the emo kid down the path where it's like, listen, go and listen to some depressed music for a minute and uh, leave me alone so I can escape. Um, well, you know, and as we're talking here, it, draw a, a more uh, 
recent parallel, it's almost kind of like the new Star Wars movie where, you know, he can only be evil when he doesn't have good thoughts or something like that, you know? Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. And there's kind of that struggle because, because yeah, I mean, Armus or Tardude, Tardude. <laughs> apparently has feelings because he's like, well, I'm so lonely, they left me behind. You know, it just, I don't know. And, and I found myself just I don't care that you're lonely, evil dude. You're killing people, and you're like, say please. Oh, no, I fooled you, and yeah, yeah. stuff like that. So I don't know, but I think you're right. I mean, it is it does put Troy to good use, and it's certainly um, her, her specialty of being a counselor, you know, whether she's actually trying to reason with it or just pull the wool over his eyes and create a diversion or whatever it is. But I just I found that guy was like, man, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm not feeling sorry for you, Tar, dude. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And I think he is, uh, you know, by definition, the most unsympathetic character that there probably could be. I mean, he's just uh, but but, you know, I guess to to counterpoint to that, I did sort of at the end of the episode kind of feel for him just because, um, you know, he he is literally the only thing that he was created to be or not created. But, he you know, it's it's the only thing that he could be. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think I think that's why the moment where Picard says "I pity you" and he freaks out, like, yeah, he flips out. Yeah. Um, I thought was actually turbo effective because that is both the appropriate response to Tardude, but also probably the one thing that he would be like, "I hate you. Like, don't pity me." Yeah. Um, but it well, is what he is. He's 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 just he's a pitiable sight. I mean, that's and and it goes back to the question of like the race that did this. You know, why didn't they just? jettison this stuff into the sun or something <laughs> yeah. right and it also goes to the question of why they don't do a little more at the end of the episode to try to you know get rid of this thing they just leave it on the planet like shoot some phasers at the shuttle <laughs> not going back there again <laughs> and they're like well we'll set up a buoy or something there's a beacon to be but, fair they did more than uh whatever the race that created him did <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but, it, but it, it does it raises some some questions of you know, couldn't they spend a day trying to brainstorm some ideas of how to kill this thing, or like how to teleport up a chunk of the planet and then just throw it into the sun? Yeah. It, yeah. Like, I don't know if they could have teleported him though. I mean, he was able to throw up force fields that prevent, prevented him from teleporting the, the injured crew in the shuttlecraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was immune to the phasers that Data and Riker try to take him down with. I mean, in fact, they said he's growing more powerful as we use the phasers on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they they um, they kind of approach this like a uh, like a natural phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that he's less of a. I mean, he is a being, but he's kind of more of a force of nature. Um, and what do you do? Do you get mad at the storm and try to blow it up? No, I mean that's kind of impossible. So you just do your best to ride it out and get around the next one. Well, well if actually, they have like a temporal anomaly in space or something, they might try to fix it. There was actually Maybe. an interesting yeah. exchange between Tardude and Data as well. When Data's taking the readings of him, he finally asks him, he says, well, are you saying that I'm not alive? And I don't remember the exact line, but Data basically stops short of calling him a living being. Mm-hmm. He says, mm-hmm. you're obviously some sort of sentience, mm-hmm. but it's like he he's, he's reticent to actually say, oh, you're alive. Right. They dance around that throughout the episode. Yep. Well, and it's a discussion that, that um, they kind of had a, a few episodes ago in Home Soil. And oddly, as quickly as it's done here, it's almost done better here. Um, that it they answer fewer questions and leave more um, ambiguous. Um, 
and it does raise some questions about, you know, is this thing alive? And they just say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and they leave it at that <laughs> because sometimes things can be ambiguous. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, right now let's do uh, let's do best and worst. Um, and Ed, uh, H-Dog, since you are our guest, uh, why don't you give us your best and your worst, whichever order you prefer. Um, well, the worst is it's just such low hanging fruit. The effects they were terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I actually did like how they had the crash scene because they had the nacelles had separated from the shuttle and were just kind of impacted in the surface around the main portion of the shuttle. So I I appreciated that. Um, and the best, you know, I struggled with with my my, best part, but I'm gonna go back to the wharf scene actually because. I think in that episode, in that moment, Worf was very unworf as to how they basically portray him the rest of the series. He's always the first one to say, let's fire torpedoes, or let's go to phasers, or let's rush in and just start pumping skulls. And he was very reasonable and calculating. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Riker's like, Worf, are you coming down? He's like, no, I can better serve everyone by staying on the ship. And he also goes on to say, you know, this is a rescue mission. It's not combat or something along those lines. I'm like, damn, Worf, you know, you're really showing some chops there. So for me, I thought that was actually a shining moment for Worf, who kind of becomes a caricature uh, throughout the series to always just, you know, smash it, shoot it. Right, right. Yep, yeah. Uh, Paul, how about you? Uh, best and worst, or mm. in any order? Any order? That's a good question. Um, let's start with the worst. Um, my worst is Riker, um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, this is what the third boy in as many episodes. Let me flip through my notes quickly. The third in as many episodes where where Riker is taken hostage. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> and because Arsenal of Freedom, he got trapped by the the force field and yep. then symbiosis he got trapped by uh tijan <laughs> yeah by luxray um, <laughs> and then in skin of evil he gets pulled into the pit and it's just it's like that's what he's there for and at, at the end tasha says like Riker, you're the best and that's and it's like well the best at what at this point Riker has really been not delivering in a lot of places yeah. first um, officer or first hostage <laughs> can it and, be both and it is it's not that he's even doing good things when he he's just kind of standing around in a lot of scenes and he has very few lines and and it's been like that for a few episodes i think but he's yeah. just not been delivering much in this first season which i think is is fairly well known and and he also has, just by being there on the surface, um, Troy is, is like, oh, let me communicate with them. And he's like, no. And the first thing I thought of was like, well, she could communicate with Riker. Just talk mm-hmm. to him in his mind. Mm-hmm. Like This thing doesn't know she has weird mind powers. And Riker is standing right there. And she could be like, hey, I'm in here. And I'm hurt, but I'm fine at the all. moment. And <laughs> the pilot's hurt, and he needs help badly, right? <laughs> that, that could be be done very easily based on um, what they showed us in the pilot um, to the point that I'm I don't know if I'm in the place where I regret saying that you should watch the pilot at this point but I'm definitely getting really close to that line um, because there's just so many weird things that being chief among them that Troy has weird mind powers with Riker that maybe never get used again um, and it's, it's like well, maybe 
maybe you just scrap the pilot and that goes away. <laughs> but, <laughs> Let's write um, that one off. It's the Imzadi oh. power. Imzadi! I don't know, maybe, no! Maybe you can just start the series a little later uh, and pretend that everybody is there and has been there. <laughs> you don't get well, that O'Brien. I've been advocating that for years. <laughs> I don't know. So it would be, um, what, episode five? What was the one uh, where no one has gone before? It would be a great start to the series. Yeah, well, like, but... Yeah. We can maybe talk about retconning that at the end of our season one run. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, but my best on the other side um, is Data. Uh, Data has awesome parts throughout this whole episode. Um, and he is so no-nonsense when it comes to Tardude. Um, like, he just is not taking it. And the scene with Geordi, like, the uh, Tardude pulls off Geordi's visor and throws it in the dirt, and Data goes to help him, and um, Tardude moves it. And then Data's like, well, I'm not going to try to help him anymore. And he's like, well, why? And he's like, well, just you're just going to move it again, and like, I'm not going to be used to hurt him or to, to make him suffer. Um, and it's like, okay. And, and later, um, Tardude is controlling Data, you know, um, with telekinesis or something of, of the sort, and points the phaser at a lot of different people. And it's like, well, how would you feel if I made you kill, like, uh, Beverly or Picard? It's like, you know, I wouldn't feel anything because I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, it's, it would be the same as if I was here and they got shot by someone else because you're the one in control. Yeah. And he just has so many good lines like that that are um, throughout the episode. Um, it's a really strong um, rebuff of this character. Um, the, this tar dude in a way that Data is really um, set for, right? And it comes off very Spockian, right? It, it is that he's he's fitting into those shoes really well here. That logically, um, I'm not going to play this game. The only the only way to, to win this is not to play, right? If you're going to kill us, kill us. But we're not going to stand here and be your weird puppets for your amusement. Uh, and everybody kind of gets on that message, but Data has it from from minute one on the surface. Mm -hmm. yeah, and right. Tardude does not like him at all. Yeah, he's he constantly calling him Tin Man, and, you know, it's pretty obvious he does not like Data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and and it's, I mean, Data sees through him really quick. Just like, yeah, I'm not going to do this, and, you know, try to make me. And, and even the lines, like, he, he has him point the phaser at himself and says, like, how does it feel to know you could die? His response is something along the lines of, like, hmm, curious. Yeah, he, say, he literally <laughs> says, curious, yep. And I was like, it's it's a very data, uh, being data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very well cool. said. So, <clears throat> my I'll I'll start with my worst as well. Um, to kind of piggyback off of your point, Ed, uh, and the effects in this episode, the absolute worst for me was the slow motion pull of Riker into the pit of <laughs> Metamucil and Black Printer's Ink. No, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Something's got me. And then he just like. It's like they couldn't even find a, a tie or something that could a pulley strong enough to actually heave him. So it's, it's almost like he's helping the thing get in the pool. It's pulling him so slow. It's pulling him so slow that they have to make point of the fact that everyone standing around him could easily reach him and stop him from getting into the pool where they just say no no don't no because he'll do other bad stuff I'm like really <laughs> oh my god it was it was just so weak and then his like something's got me I'm like oh this was clearly supposed to be kind of shocking and ominous but it's 
it's like the slow speed chase down the interstate it's just was not that interesting or compelling pretty cheesy um my best is it's a two for best um because it's the same scene but i loved it for two reasons um the exchange between Picard and Tardude right before they beam out of there. Um, because I, I feel like what, what Picard did in this episode was absorb... He did what every every good captain should do. He absorbed all of the information from his team in the field to pull it all together to figure out how to defeat Armas. He got the um, the psychology from, from Counselor Troy... He got the uh, non-engagement and not playing the game with Armas from Data. He combined it into one package where he basically rendered the all-powerful being powerless just by taking a stance against him. Um, and he has I, a great line too. Yeah, it's well, he has like he has a bunch of them in there. I mean, it's just like rapid fire. It's really well written. And I actually wrote Sir Pat Stew can deliver this stuff like it's Shakespeare. It's it's just it's fun to watch him do it but what's the line that you wanted to point out Ed? uh the line he says is you can control them but only i can command them yeah uh, that yep. was a good line yep and it's like boom exactly yeah that was that was uh that was fantastic and then i wanted to throw this in here just as a bonus i'm going to play this clip i'm not taking you anywhere And the reason I laughed out loud at that is that is a conversation I've had with my toddler I don't know how many times over again. Like, it's just Picard <laughs> being the parents, being like, right listen, after, the right way... your toddler killed someone. <laughs> we don't talk about that, Paul. Um, we're trying to lay kind of low. But the, the whole, like, listen, you're being a, a, a twit. Knock it off. I'm not taking you anywhere. And then, rage fit! And then he just beams out. And Armist just keeps screaming. Yeah. Um, definitely felt very uh, Darth Vader episode uh, episode three. I did, actually. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Wow. No! <laughs> so that was, that was my best for both of those reasons. Um, so now... We go around the table, and our our up down vote of is this is this canon for us? Is this our essential uh, watch list for somebody who's going cold turkey, brand new through Star Trek: The Next Generation? Do we tell them, "Yep, watch this one" or skip it? And uh, H Dog, as our guest, uh, you go first. Yes. Okay. As much as it kind of pains me to say that, yes, and it's simply because it's a main character who dies or a main cast member, crew member. Uh, and the future ramifications throughout the series. Paul? Yeah, I think when we had the original listing, we both said watch, probably for that reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I th- think I, I made it a harder choice, um, but I, I'm still watch, yeah. um, but for different reasons. I, okay. I don't think it's just that. And I, if it was, I don't know that that's enough, um, but I think there's enough else there. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say uh, yes as well. I was surprised. It's not a great episode, but it has, it does have a lot of long-lasting ramifications, and there's enough good in it, uh, I think, to make yeah. it redeemable. Um, so, and it's an important one, whether whether good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. It it is very important uh, to Star Trek: The Next Generation for so many reasons that we that we basically uh, laid out. So. Um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. I feel like this one, actually, there was a lot there. We could have probably talked for, for much longer, but in the interest of keeping this not a three-hour podcast, uh, we'll wrap it there. Uh, Ed, H-Dog, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us for the first episode uh, with us on this podcast. My pleasure uh, to talk with you guys, and I look forward to doing it again. We had so much fun, we're going to bring you back. So that's oh, the price of success. Sounds good. So <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jason. I'm Paul. And remember, psychology defeats evil space wizards. Hey, uh,